The Overview is a production of Chaman V TV. Find out more about the show at chamanv.tv. What's up? What's up, everybody? Welcome to episode 78 of The Overview. I'm Chan Man V, and I'm joined today, of course, by Fish Sticks and ZP. As always, what's up, buddy? Buddies. Buddy. buddy. <laughs> We're actually buddy. one person now. We, we have fused. <laughs> yeah. Don't let our separate webcams and physical location fool you. We are actually <laughs> Fish ZP. Fish. It's, it's the tribe's connection, obviously. Z-Picks would be VP Sticks? VP, I think I, think I like ZP Sticks better than Fish Fish, fish. Uh, my name doesn't really combo well. You'd have to do like Z <laughs> fish P or something like you have to actually have to like wrap me around fish sticks like a sensual sandwich. To <laughs> Z fish oh, P, basically. I was okay. not expecting that. <laughs> Did you know Z P stands for something? I'm not gonna. You know what? I've never asked you that. Out. What? What does it? I'm not gonna let it out right I'm now. Not gonna let it out. Okay. That, okay. that would be a leak. <laughs> that would be a leak. Leak E E K. Definitely want to welcome our. First time guest on the show, who is Scribe, and we're you know we're talking about like introing him, and it's just like man, is he an analyst, a like a manager, a coach, a journalist? So I'm gonna let you just introduce yourself, just because it might be the easiest thing to do. Yeah, so um, I guess primarily I'm a journalist, so I write for Ghosty Gamers, and I guess I still write technically for Ghosty Gamers, although not as frequently anymore. Uh, but I guess my most notable competitive experience, uh, I worked with You Guys Get Paid during uh, Contender's run and a little bit of the Overwatch Rumble as well. Yeah. So I worked as kind of a head coach figure. Um, and then once we had us, we brought on a strategic coach. Uh, I moved myself to kind of analyst and manager while also kind of just managing player relations. So that's about all I am uh, in terms of stuff I can talk about. <laughs> stuff I can talk about, exactly. And I'm sure you've seen some of Scribe's articles as well as videos and things like that if you're a very frequent person on the the you know the Cal subreddit. So um, very happy to have you on the show today. Got lots of good stuff to talk to you about. And um, I mean, we got it across the board today. There's some game stuff in particular with an uh, upcoming event and BlizzCon news. We've got uh, obviously a lot of team and, and player uh, news going on there as well as OWL. Got some talks about tryouts and some interesting discussions there. And then contenders, of course, the playoffs being this weekend. Getting into some predictions, even some news there in terms of like uh, some of the rosters that are going to be competing. And then lastly, Q&A. We got a ton of questions this week, so I definitely didn't get to all the questions, but this is awesome. Just keep them coming, guys. Send those to the overview at chamanv.tv. Definitely uh, try to get the you know, try to read your question or try to get the best ones that we can. Uh, but why don't we start off with some game news, which is that the Halloween event, which was I don't know, arguably the best event at least for me and at least personally for me last year, uh, is going to be coming back around, which is going to be starting next Tuesday on the tenth. And uh, I don't know if you guys saw it or not. It's just like it was basically just a tweet. Like we didn't get too much more than that. But uh, you guys excited for the event? It's the return of Junkenstein, probably. <laughs> right, they, right? It's not confirmed. There's like literally no details at all. It's just a hype teaser. But, I hope it's uh, someone other than Junkenstein. I mean, Junkenstein feels very 2016 to me. I want a <laughs> for 2017. Uh, Junkenstein can join the hall of villains that don't matter anymore. And I think I'm okay with that. Okay. Like retire. Yeah, I would just hall. be surprised if they throw out the entire minigame that they, they built. I, I think we're going to see some iteration of it come back. 
Uh, I'm excited for the skins that are coming out. That's one thing I yeah. think that Overwatch, the Blizzard does like by far the best. Like I was looking at the Diva, uh, was it a like Deathwing skin that came out for the Hots? Uh, oh, for Hots, that's, and that skin's way better. That we need one of that. We need that skin for Overwatch. It's well, there's a reason sick. why you don't get that skin though. You don't get that skin because Overwatch right now is very much worried about keeping uh, silhouettes in a more comfortable spot. You already have some skins oh. that I think go a little bit over. But I see what you mean. If like you're the, that yeah. Deathwing Diva, that thing is going to look very different from normal Diva. <laughs> and in normal course of gameplay, that would just be awkward when you start considering like FPS hitboxes, etc. So I mean, I the Overwatch team is actually more limited in what they do with Overwatch characters skin-wise than the Heroes team is. Oh, that definitely makes a lot of sense, actually. Didn't think about it that way. <laughs> but yeah, the skins, I, I would say the Halloween skins last year were one of the best, too. I mean, I, I, I believe I got all of the Halloween ones last year, but, you know, the Reaper with the candles on the, the you know, the rifle. We had the, the Frankenstein road. I mean, they were, I mean, they were awesome. <laughs> definitely the first event that I, I felt like, wow, these, these skins are definitely ones that I'm willing to pay money <laughs> to, to get. Uh, so this one's got a lot of, I think it's got, high expectations so hopefully they'll live up to it and um as long as they change up Junkenstein, it's not the same i think i'll be happy i think that just that alone would be enough for me um but okay well um look forward to that next week guys uh we've got blizzcon schedule is out too and um in terms of overwatch i think the the biggest news is that you know, definitely confirmed now. You know a lot of people were speculating and you know, some people knew and just couldn't say but now for sure is that the World Cup is going to be in the arena, which, uh, you know, it's like the, the StarCraft II Kings for the longest time, at least of the arena, um, has definitely fallen finally, which is kind of sad. It's sad for folks that started in the StarCraft community. But at the same time, it's, it's due. I mean, Overwatch League being, you know, as big as it's going to be, and obviously World Cup is going to be the biggest event at BlizzCon. Unless the heroes surprises me for whatever reason, but I, I believe, uh, yeah, Overwatch League will, will or uh, the World Cup will be. So, what do you guys think about uh, Overwatch finally taking over the arena? I, I can see how excited ZP is already. Like the moment <laughs> you talked about that, he's already grinning, just imagining being there on stage. Just like it, it's awesome. I mean, Chan, Chan Man and I are big StarCraft guys. Uh, it was a huge uh, passion. It was kind of what bridged us into the modern era of esports. Was StarCraft II esports way back when. It's been awesome to have it in that arena. Mm -hmm. The crowd, it, 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 you have to you have to get it had to get a seat hours before the show. Every BlizzCon, if you wanted to see, sit for the grand finals. That said, I think it makes total sense. I mean, Overwatch is the big new game for Blizzard. Overwatch League is around the corner. Overwatch World Cup is just such a hype concept, and I cannot wait to see how a crowd that big. Uh, interacts with an Overwatch broadcast. I mean, we're talking five, 6,000 seats in that arena. It's a legit sports arena. And I don't think, to my knowledge, Overwatch hasn't had that. Maybe like China or, or Korea has maybe had something okay. comparable, but that's going to be a huge audience for Overwatch. Biggest yet, I think. And no, it's really good to see it go into the arena. I mean, obviously, as someone who deals in Overwatch and not StarCraft, I'm excited to see uh, <laughs> the full... Uh, amenities of the arena being offered to overwatch where presumably I, I wouldn't think they would be deviating too much from the stage that you had last year, just sort of expanding it out. Like I thought the setup that they had last year for world cup was really cool in terms of environment. And now just with the arena, you get a little bit more room to expand and play on that concept. So yeah, it's like 10 times more room. Probably. Yeah. Maybe yeah. not that much. 
it's big. It, like I cannot wait to hear the oohs and ahs <laughs> when big plays happen in that arena. It's it's going to be something to behold. Do you think we're going to actually uh, fully populate the arena this time? Yeah. I would be yeah. shocked. <laughs> yes. Yeah. The answer is so. yes. Yeah. I mean, last year, I don't know if you guys saw, but there was there were long lines to try to get into the the bowl last year because there was just so there just weren't even close to enough seats. So I would be shocked if it wasn't. I mean, given that it's always packed for StarCraft, so with Overwatch, it's I think it would be more hype. And uh, so, yeah, I'd be, be shocked. I wonder if they're going to use any of the, you know, just the projecting um, type of overlay that they use for StarCraft and maybe utilize some of that technology or if it's just going to be completely custom for Overwatch. Because I do think they're going to use those type of tables, you know, the desks or, you know, just the setup for all the computers. I could see that. But I wonder what else they're going to do just all around that stuff. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, one of the reasons the StarCraft broadcast was so awesome was because that amazing stage, uh, like a, probably a couple hundred foot diameter projector. Mm -hmm. It's just insane. One of the coolest esports stages I've ever seen. Hopefully they have something similar. Uh, yeah. I, it's obviously going to be a different aesthetic. Overwatch has a, <laughs> has a different feel to it, but I imagine we'll see something of similar epic, epicness. I hope so, at least. Yeah, so uh, the, the schedule's there, guys. If you go to blizzcon.com slash, uh, depending on what language you are, just en-us for English slash schedule, you can you can take a look at it. Uh, you know, one thing, at least for myself, too, is that we'll be doing Streamer Showdown on the, the brand new Epic Community stage, which will be in the brand new hall, too, that they they added to the, the convention center. So, Oh, there's uh, a new hall? Yeah, it's I big, too. Like, there's going to be like a thousand seats, 800 or a thousand seats at that one stage. So, Whose dog was that, is my question. <laughs> that was a roommate. I don't wow. think that was a dog. Wasn't I think that was dog. a bro howl. It's, okay, it did sound like someone of a bestial howl. So, <laughs> it yeah. did, it did. Yes, yes. This, it's one hell of a kill or something that he had over there. <laughs> well, the Yankees, the Yankees are playing. Oh, are so they playing? Okay, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's not good, then. They're playing the the twins like screw that guy for <laughs> yeah. celebrating the twins have to win something damn it <laughs> that's true that's true the, the first, first day of the playoffs plays. right like uh, uh i think wild, uh, wild card is uh, yeah. i think you play off it's one game and you're in you're right so. yeah it's obviously a super important game um but okay yeah so blizzcon coming up guys it's 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 a month away and i mean all the festivities exactly. actually start before a month so um yeah it's gonna be a, a fun ride the next few weeks can't wait to see that um, all right. Well, next up, why, why don't we catch up with uh, Scribe? Just catch up with you a little bit, given that um, you know this is your first time, obviously, on the show. And um, earlier, you know, last or maybe late last week, <laughs> you know, you you tweeted that uh, you were going to take a step back from Overwatch season one, and um, you know, kind of wanted to ask you about that, and maybe just like what right now your your plans are in terms of Overwatch. Yeah, definitely. So. Um... I basically had done like a few trials, some like two trials specifically with Overwatch League teams. Uh, and I ended up kind of like not being super happy with my own performance uh, in them as well. And I found a lot of stuff I needed to work on. Uh, but besides that, I mean, I work a full-time job. So having to dedicate like six hours a day after work to, you know, watch scrims and then do like an additional an analysis, I needed, you know, a way to kind of like not really feel like I was kind of, kind of like working two jobs at once. So there's a lot of time that you need to sink into do good analysts. There's a lot of like tape you need to watch and being able to consistently do that was something I don't think I was necessarily immediately able to do. But besides that, it's just a matter of um, improving kind of what I can bring to the table for um, Overwatch League teams. I mean, this is mm -hmm. 
essentially a $20 million investment plus, you know, like recurring re- recurring uh, expenses for like salaries and uh, living conditions and stuff like that. So I want to make sure I read my A game. So for now, I'm taking a step back from Overwatch League season one, um, just like trialing for analyst positions. And I'm going to start grinding more so for season two of contenders. Uh, not a lot of details announced about that just yet, but I'm assuming that season two will happen. And I know there are a lot of teams who are also gearing up to kind of get ready for that as well. And a couple of weeks ago, or just just a week ago or so, you you released an article on your uh, Medium blog about the support staff needed to to build a good Overwatch team in general. Do you want to talk about this a little bit? You mentioned in this article that you think much of the West has not learned the lesson that you need to have proper management yet. Uh, do you think that's still the case? Like, obviously, things will change with OWL, but uh, you want to talk about that article a little bit? Yeah, I mean, it's just a general like um, statement on kind of looking at the North American scene and as well as the European scene in, in particular. Looking at contenders like season one alone, there's a lot of unsigned teams that that operate there, right? And if you kind of take into account how much work you really need to put in to not only make sure your players are performing at the highest level, but to make sure that you know you're resolving stuff like getting ready for scrims, right? Making sure that you guys are prepping properly, you guys are doing proper uh, like counter stratting or anti stratting, right? Doing research on your teams. All that takes so much time. It's it's kind of ridiculous. So I think the issue right now is a lot of Western teams are kind of hoping and banking on like maybe one or two people staff that they're not paying that, you know, you don't know what these guys are doing, right? These guys have probably in most cases have no prior esports experience and you're kind of depending on them to do a lot of this job that, you know, organizations nowadays in the West, like even with Immorals and Envy, I'm pretty sure they're finding trouble, like making sure they're on time with all this stuff day after day. And it's an incredibly grueling thing. So that's kind of one of the biggest issues is I think a lot of developing teams and a lot of teams are coming up, think that they can kind of just get by without having like uh, a staff that's entirely dedicated um, to, to this team, whether maybe these, these managers and these analysts are more so looking about what they can do, like what's their next step, right? They're only on the team uh, for a short period of time. They're just mainly looking to bolster the resume, right? You need people who are kind of more dedicated to getting down in the, uh, the nitty gritty parts of it, who are willing to grind down all the schedules. Mm-hmm. And for any manager or any scheduler, like it seems like the easiest task in the world, but getting your players to be on time for scrims <laughs> is actually kind of ridiculous. It's almost, yeah. it's like hurting sheep in a way, except the sheep like have no idea what they're doing. So it's it, it's tough, but I think at the same time, like the East has this has this structure, and especially in Korea, where every member of the organization has this role. And I mentioned this in in the blog post as well. And everyone is like working on what their role is. They're not trying to do something else, right? They're not trying to step put their foot into someone else's job. They're just grinding the same stuff. And because of that, you have these deep deep support staffs that like have somehow been able to cultivate these championship winning teams. And the best example I come up with is Lune Takai. Like Lune Takai comes to Apex every season with like a slightly different roster. And I mean, they've won so many times at this point that it's kind of, you kind of feel like they found the formula, right? To, to kind of break open Overwatch. And one of the biggest things that I've, when I talked to kind of Korean players and I talked to kind of like rest esports support staff um, outside of Korea, all of them are gushing about how good Luntikai is. And their coach has, right. I guess, been on Reddit a few times talking about what he looks into. And a lot of this stuff is super insightful stuff that I don't think a lot of Western support staff um, have as much familiarity with. But at the same time, the West is one of the regions that learns the fastest. So I would not be surprised to see if they pick up stuff in Korea in the future. So one thing I want to point out here, there's sort of a theme to a lot of what you're saying, which is time, 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 dedication, time. And you're not incorrect. 
However, in your own situation, are you holding yourself back by still working a main job while doing this? Because most of the people that got picked up as coaches or analysts, they are full-time. You're competing against people that are putting in 12 hours a day. Can you really be competitive and stay on top of the things you say you need to stay on top of if you're still holding down a full-time job? I don't think you can. I actually agree with you entirely. I think that if you really want to dedicate yourself to becoming the best team in, in the West or in the world, you Overwatch has to be the one thing that you do. You can't be like me and like work like nine hours a day, like eight hours, nine hours a day, and then come home and then, you know, like be super tired and not really willing to put in all the time. I think like, for example, like that's kind of one reason why like Flame also mm -hmm. kind of took some yeah. time off as well, right? Is it, I guess he kind of realized that he wants to do esports full time. And it's not necessarily anything related to coaching or managing in particular, right? Like doing anything in esports is... Uh, especially if you're doing it at a very high level, like whether it's being um, an influencer in the background, whether it's working with a team, this is a, I think it's a full-time, it's a full-time commitment and coaches who have other stuff to do while yes, I think that it is, there are certain individuals who have the ability to kind of multitask and uh, you know, are really good at you know allocating their time. I think they might be able to have a good effect, but I think the best coaches in Overwatch, I think they need to just be focused on coaching because there's so much tape that you need to watch. There's so much information you need to gather that I don't think you can do it with like a limited time of after work. Yeah, I mean, it's one of those things, especially when, when it comes to Flame and yourself too. And I mean, I've been in kind of in that position, but just obviously not in terms of like being a coach and that sort of thing, working and then coming back and doing something. Um, I mean, it's it has to do with just making that, quote unquote correct decision for yourself right like and i know for like flame and probably for you too it's just like you know you have a current position where you're making x amount of money for instance or you're you know whatever your current job is you know what it means to you or or you know how how you know what it means to your living and then you have to like go into this coaching job or whatever and you're you need to feel safe about doing it right and i think that's where it gets tough because there's not that many people that are that are in a position to be a coach and are in a position where they're already doing like overwatch full time, you know, and, and are fully, fully qualified to be coach. So I think that's kind of where we are right now. You know, like in the, when the overwatch space, we've got these people that are doing something different and then it's like, they have to take that risk to, to be a coach. Um, I think eventually it'll be a safer bet, you know, like just generally being a coach in overwatch is like a great, you know, a prestigious position. But right now I don't think we're quite there. Would you guys agree so with that? Uh, no, I, I fully agree. I mean, generally speaking, I here's what you need to be a really good coach. And this is more traditional advice, but also applies to Overwatch. You need someone that is incredibly obsessed with the game, but is also a type A personality that basically is on top of everything. You can't, yeah. like your coach, your best coaches are not going to be the people that are sort of laid back. is like, ah, yeah, this is fine, whatever. You need people that are really in the game constantly thinking about the game you need to find effectively your bill belichick's of overwatch people with that level of dedication and those people are rare to begin with but in an area where it's very hard for people to prove themselves you're going to have a lot of turnover i feel like coaching wise especially for say owl season one where it'll become very apparent what teams have really good coaching and what teams have people that said the right things in the coaching interview process but were anything but a good coach and I, the way I see sort of things playing out, whether it be on the GM side or the coaching side for Owl, is that I think you will have a handful of organizations that will do things really, really well. These are the orgs that will not only dominate 
in terms of win loss, but just reports from inside will be very positive. It'll be like, yeah, they're running a really good ship. Yeah. And then what's going to happen as you go forward into say a owl season two is that you will see an NFL esque brain drain on the orgs that did well, because people will want what will make, you know, say the top team in the league, the top team league, they'll want part of that secret sauce. So you'll see, People that might not be getting paid all that well, that are like lower level assistant analysts, coaches, whatever, that are just within a structure. If they're part of an org that's doing really well, those people all get hired, I think, for season two as some of the people on teams where they didn't do so well get sort of cycled out. Yeah. I, I, this is kind of a dumb hypothetical question, but <laughs> what's more important? Do you need somebody that has extreme game knowledge to be your analyst like what, what's more important between an analyst and a coach that's really just herding sheep or 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 can you have someone that does both you need two people uh one to do the analyst side one to just make sure people are uh you know waking up on time and and, and you taking care of their health i think that's uh there's two trains of thought um that are kind of related to this <clears throat> So the first one is obviously if you find some guy who can do both, like why not, right? But at the same time, I think that in order to, like I mentioned before, in order to kind of fully dedicate yourself to be a good coach, you can't be also in charge of the managerial duties. Like a lot of times this stuff is just stuff that overlaps with each other. I've seen coaches and I've worked with analysts who literally grind deep into the night, right? They're just saying like immediately after scrims and scrims end at like, let's say midnight on the East Coast, right? They're grinding all through the night just to, you know, get write-ups for, for their, um, for their VODs and then to get ready for kind of like talking, uh, I guess, briefing the team, uh, for scrims the next day. Right. And that's something that you just have to spend a lot of time doing. You can't then, you know, expect yourself to schedule scrims every day, right? Keep, uh, keep account of your, what your players are doing, right? Find out where your schedule is. So I think you do need to separate the two just because it's easy, but that's, um, but with that being said, there are coaches I know who have been able to do both at a very high level, uh, but it's really tough to find those. But at the same time, I think that the most important thing is going to be, uh, I don't think, and this is kind of a, a separate point, but I don't think game knowledge on a head coach is nearly as important as being kind of a more of a leadership figure. Uh, and this is in the kind of the more, uh, it's a separate definition of like a coach. I think that you should have a head coach who's kind of made, in charge of all the operations of the team and makes the final say. But I think you also need like a tactical analyst who's uh, analyst slash coach who's able to give you a lot of the feedback there. I think that, you know, game knowledge is something that a lot of the top players already have. I, I can't really say if there's any coach I know who is able to teach a player how to play like NG, how to play uh, Diva or whatever. I know I've worked with legit RC and he's kind of one of the examples of coaches who I think is able to tell players like kind of how they should play certain matchups. When I was working with him uh, on like a kind of like a random scrim team, he kind of outlined exactly for our Winston player and our Diva player exactly how they should play around certain corners. So there are coaches who definitely add that benefit in there, but I think that the real value of, of a head coach is someone who's able to lead your players and make sure that they're willing to kind of like dedicate themselves to the process. Yeah. I mean, well, I, I tend to feel like you're going to need both. Like as far as like, well, both qualities of head coach. I mean, you need both a coach and an analyst. Like you can't have one person trying to manage your players and also watching every single game. But again, I will defer the traditional sports here. If you look at someone like Bill Belichick, He's also one of the most intelligent football minds you will ever meet. And even though a lot of being a coach is being sort of a player manager and making sure people actually want to play for you, you also have to have that decision-making expertise to veto bad ideas and go from there. And also when it comes to gameplay footage, I mean, you are going to need a coach that's able to go to a player and go, look, you're making X mistake repeatedly. 
you need to stop doing that. And it does need to come from the coach. I, I don't, even though I would agree that the player leadership is more important per se of the two, not having, you need to have both because if you're lacking in one respect, you're not going to be able to fix things on your team in the way that someone who does have both will be able to. Yeah. It's, it's going to be tough because I think even just the semantics of coach, you know, I think is going to need to be defined. I mean, our, our team's going to have different definitions of what head coach is because i kind of feel like head coach can be what we're terming general manager right now, you know, which is more like a CEO of your team. And, you know, we see it with like a lot of college football teams where it's like the coordinators are the ones that actually do, you know, like call the plays and things like that, but they are, you know, the face of the, the team and the leadership, you know, and, and all that stuff. But then, you know, you have more of uh, you know, maybe like a basketball coach in some cases that are, you know, X's and O guys, you know, they're actually, you know, really, really um, uh, in it when it comes to, to what the, the gameplay is going to be like. So I think he, you know, each of the teams will probably have a different, you know, org structure that way. Um, for me, it's just like this season one is going to be really, really crazy just because I don't think there are enough people that are actually experienced enough in those roles, coach, general manager, anything in the Overwatch space right now to, you know, that would be typically what you would call, you know, just have that experience. So you're going to be having people that are getting, gaining that spirit experience. And I think after like maybe the first two seasons or so, then we'll have like, you know, I think a, a very rich amount of experience level for people to, to, um, to hire and to work with. Cause we haven't had people come in that are GMs of say, you know, a CS team or I don't know, something complete like a league of legends team come in and take over an overwatch team. Like nobody's even considering that right now. I don't think maybe they are, but I like every, decision i've seen so far has been mostly in within the overwatch community itself so, so um, the, the closest you had there actually probably was alicus because i believe alicus okay. was okay. the sure. for uh renegades and league of legends and actually i yeah. think i'll give you and, I, I forget if they weren't like i don't follow league but i know that one of the teams that alicus spent a lot of time putting together did get to the like eu lcs finals or thereabouts but uh the irony there is that i'm not sure alicus is actually going to be a gm for an owl team so it doesn't yeah, he's even still, apply in that case. Yeah, he's still looking, and obviously, I think, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably gotten some offers, but yeah, he, he definitely has not decided on anything yet with Alicus. But you'd think that that would be, you know, if you're talking about just looking at from experience level, from, you know, just like that organizational level and that sort of thing, you think that some teams would be looking at that a little bit more, right? Bringing in somebody that, that from a, you know, management standpoint has lots of experience doing that, can structure you know, whatever team, you know, whether you need a head coach or you need several coaches, whatever, somebody that's already had experience doing that. But right now we don't see that happening with the teams. Like it's, you know, so I think this first season is going to be a little bit of, you know, learning curve for everybody. And then, uh, you know, we'll start seeing these, the, the organizations kind of really tighten down, kind of like what you were saying, ZP, you know, like after that first season, you'll start seeing some, some of the, uh, I don't know, some of these these NFL type of, you know, processes coming into Overwatch and well, the big thing too is that you'll have templates to copy, right? Yeah, I mean, right, right. regardless of what field you're in, greatness inspires copycats. That's how the <laughs> world works. So when you know that team X, Y, or Z did really well in Owl Season 1, you're going to figure out what was their internal structure. People are going to talk. Players are going to talk. And the people that you end up sort of stealing from those orgs are definitely going to talk. So that's how yeah. whoever figures out how to do these things well first, that information will proliferate to the other teams rather quickly. 
Yeah, and you have to you have to remember the fact that this is one of the scariest facts in the world is that the number of teams that have coaches who have won tournaments is going to be less yeah. than what you yep. can count on one hand. Right, and it's yeah. I mean you're yeah. you're basically managing a twenty million dollar investment off of some guy who's probably never seen a million dollars before and also probably has never won a tournament before. So that's something that you can put your mind on and think about <laughs> what the, what teams are right. going to be looking for. Yeah. But I mean, it, it's not, I mean, it's just, it's a not, that's not doable. Like, it's just, that's, yeah. you know, that, that's what it looks like right now. Right. So, yeah. I mean, it, I think there are a lot of coaches who haven't won anything that are actually like really, really strong coaches. Mm-hmm. Like one of the coaches uh, is actually wizard young who worked formerly, I guess currently works with uh, luxury watch and formerly worked with uh, Gale force. But when we were scrimming them as YGGP, uh, you could definitely see how much impact he was making on the team. The team just got, so much better like almost overnight and we had been screaming that for months and it's just a matter of mindset right it's about finding a coach who's able to mesh well with your players and you know you don't need a championship winning coach to have a championship winning team right you can have a coach who uh, melts well with the players is able to respect them and more importantly able to get their respect and more importantly able to manage them properly and i think that's going to be one of the coolest things in overwatch league is seeing how coaches are going to be able to evolve because I think the coaching structure in Overwatch is still very raw. I think that not every coach knows how exactly how to coach their players. Just because Overwatch, you can approach over so many different facets. You can look at it as a MOBA structure. You can look at it, look at it as an FPS structure, right? There's different ways to think about how to kind of like brainstorm uh, going into the game and how you want to look at it. So season one is going to be really interesting. So I think you're going to see a lot of different coaches from a lot of different walks. Um, but also, you're going to see like coaches who have been in the scene for forever finally match up against each other. Yeah. So you you were saying you were going to focus some more on contenders, you know, contender season two once it starts up. Um, so how do you see contender season two going? Like, is it going to be? I mean, are you expecting like you know chunks of players? Obviously, I mean they're going to be playing on teams, right? Are you are, are you expecting like some of the Overwatch teams to to buy into contenders too? So they'll have like their minor leagues down there too, mixed in with you know just whatever just whatever teams kind of come together. And then like are are they going to be taking like more? full groups i mean obviously not six man groups so maybe like you know three or four players from a team that are playing together or is it just going to be just sniping one player at a time and that's i mean that's just how a contender is going to be um i can't really say uh because i I still have knowledge on what teams are planning to go in and what structure they're going in but i expect to see kind of like a very similar uh i guess you're gonna see like a a bit of everything, right? You're going to have teams that have been together for a very long time, right? Like Toronto Esports is probably the most iconic one for anyone who's been scrimming in uh, in North America. They've been together since forever, even when they lost their, uh, they're their technically their, what, their head, their GM, their their manager, they lost a few players. And I mean, they're still scrimming with almost a completely different roster as of yesterday, right? Um, there are going to be teams that are going to buy those full rosters or they're going to enter in, you know, organizations that still have the roster to enter them in. Uh, there's a lot of cores of, of contenders teams that won't be picked up for Overwatch League and my, why not roll your dice with those, right? Like, for example, if one, two, three doesn't get picked up or at least majority of the members don't get picked up, I could completely see them coming back um, under a different organization who is willing to buy them out, right? Yeah, cool. This is like the best, this is like the best opportunity to buy low on on these like extraordinary teams that like no one's really thinking of because overwatch league is in process right everyone's hard gearing on hey i just want to get to overwatch league i want to be part of this uh this huge huge league in this huge season right but at the same time there are going to be people who just don't make it and at that point you're going to have these great players available for bargain prices and i i would definitely see a lot of orgs get back into the scene 
Okay. Well, um, why don't we move on a little bit and talk about just some of the the news that's been you know um, circulating this week with teams and players. Another boring week. Nothing Another happens. Another boring. Exactly right. This this week's been a little bit less crazy, but of course we have some big one things to talk about. First off, being the Energy announced their final roster, and um, you know I have to you know Energy had a, a pretty hype video at least. Um, hold on, I mean, <laughs> let me change this. Um, in, ter in terms of just like getting some star power and celebrity power, given that they got, you know, a Series B that included folks like J-Lo and A-Rod and Marshawn Lynch and, Lynch and Michael Strahan. All of those, which made a cameo as well as Shaq in, in the, uh, you know, announcement of this uh, roster for NRG, or at least San Francisco, uh, Overwatch. And um, yeah, so... That was pretty cool, and that was pretty hype. But then came actually the players after the they were announced, and then the the community really uh, chiming in on on the players. So the roster actually consists of Sinatra and Super, who are um, not going to be able to play like right from the get go, just given that they're age. Um, but then uh, they're going to have Dak, Dante, IDQD, Bebe, Sleepy, and Nomi. Uh, so lots of folks were kind of commenting on the energy. Just really, I think the biggest thing that, that stood out was just people were wondering, you know, where their projectile specialist is. You know, I think that's the the biggest, um, you know, weakness that, you know, that you see with this lineup. But some other folks too were talking about just, you know, this lineup isn't quite as hype as they were expecting. You know, Sinatra and obviously, you know, Baby Bay is like super impressive DPS, uh, but. You know, where, where's like the support players and tank players that, you know, uh, you know, NRG apparently with a lot of money could have gotten, you know, given that the whole Sinatra thing, uh, they won that bidding war in Sinatra. So, uh, so why don't you get your thoughts? Yeah, just generally on this roster. So here's the thing. Uh, the key thing for me, and because it's been the biggest leading indicator by far, particularly in contenders, but just as Overwatch has evolved as to whether or not a team is going to do well is how good is your one-two tank pairing, your tank and your off tank, because that's how you control the game. That's how you dominate space. The teams with really good tank setups have been doing very well. And it, like I said, it's gotten almost hilarious to the point of how much you can predict how a team will, or how a matchup will go based on the tank play alone. And frankly, I gotta say, this is not a great team right now in terms of its frontline, particularly before Super. Super is able to play. You take a look at Immortals, Immortals was struggling really, really heavily before they made their Fate Kareev swap. And a big reason is that Fate, especially at the time, was a much better tank than Nomi. Nomi was generally very passive in his play, didn't go in at the right times, would get picked off early in fight after fight after fight for Immortals back when he was on that roster. I just remember because like Hex and I would talk about this repeatedly when we just look, okay, here's Immortals, now they're going in. Uh, now Nomi's picked off. Right. Maybe he's been able to fix that over time. He got through the trial process. But overall, like the first thing I, when I look at this team is that I think they're going to get bullied by teams that are running very top tier tanks that are running very good tanks from Korea, where we know that they're so good at that part of the game. I, I think it's going to be very difficult for energy to actually control key parts of the game with what they have right now. Yeah, I would actually agree with that, specifically on the tank line. Um, looking at energy, and this is something just because I've talked to, I was talking to a few members of energy before, I guess, the entire uh, staff uh, turnover. So I think you guys can probably guess who I talked to. But 
Um, essentially, this feels like a budget team in a way. It seems like a team that Energy was not willing to overspend on. But but with that being said, I think they got a lot of great pieces for like for almost nothing. I think a lot of them, if you notice, are free agents with the exception of, I think, Super. Sinatra, his contract situation is a little weird still because technically, I remember in a Reddit post somewhere, uh, Selfless mentioned that he was still under contract, but then Selfless dissolved and now Brad, uh, Brad is working for Energy. So I'm not really sure where, where that contract situation goes, but in either case, Sinatra is now on uh, Energy. But if you notice, outside of him and Super, they didn't really spend all that much on getting all these rest of these players. Mm-hmm. By the same time, these are great players. Dante is, I think, uh, at least Tracer level, is an extremely strong player. Uh, when he was trialing for Kungarner for a little bit, he was playing a good amount of D.Va as well, back when D.Va was in the meta. So he is willing to kind of like branch out uh, beyond just the Tracer role itself. Uh, Sleepy is, a, I think, in my opinion, a super underrated mechanical player. Um, we trialed him a little bit for YGGP uh, when we, when we, I guess, we lost um, space uh, for a little bit. We were trying to trial him on a flex support role. But, you know, I think Sleepy himself is mechanically very strong. One of the biggest issues he had before was the fact he wouldn't calm as much. But that has been resolved, apparently, uh, at least talking to players internally. So I'm actually super excited to see him. Dak, once again, is another player uh, who I think is also underrated. Apparently, his calling is top tier. And that's going to be great, especially when you look at the team being kind of so young and not really lacking, not re- like kind of lacking like a real uh, visible leader figure. Uh, but besides that, I mean, Baby Bay is is a top tier DPS player, I think in, in North America, at least. Um, and more importantly, once you hit 18, you have Sinatra and super coming in. So um, in my opinion, I think this, this team isn't going to be like a top two, top three team, but they're not going to be bottom of the table either. And more importantly, you know, these guys are still young they're going to develop. And I wouldn't be surprised. Let's say if we start doing trading blocks, if these players start getting traded uh, to other areas or other teams for a lot of money. One thing that I think is worth noting here, just because I think it's a little bit, it's not entirely public knowledge, but Super is probably their best chance to turn things around midseason. I mean, yes, they're going to be getting Sinatra, who will be playing a great tracer if he hasn't fallen off or any weirdness has happened between uh, now and then. But Super is able to play most roles in the game actually very well. He's one of the most versatile players there, where even though he's known for his tank play and given the fact that Energy's tank lineup does look to be rather weak in the beginning, he will probably have to go to tank. But if they have a bigger hole anywhere else, Super can actually flex to pretty much anything. So Energy for me is probably biggest candidate for a mid-season turnaround just because of the impact you're going to see from Super and Sinatra when they get to the team. But uh, like I said, I just think they're going to really struggle heavily against teams with a great tank front line in the beginning. So so Ben, like... Why are there even holes? You know, it's like uh, that's the part that I, I I think a lot of the community doesn't really quite understand because um, I mean, is this an issue where the coach actually, you know, the coaching staff doesn't think that there are actually holes, and you know, and the community is just off with what they're saying here, or is it a you know an issue of maybe finalizing this roster a little bit too soon because clearly they have money, so I, I don't understand what the issue is with with, um, you know, if there are indeed holes here. Yeah, I'm asking some of the same questions. And generally, I agree with what everyone else has said so far here on the show on Reddit. Uh, it, it seems like they have a lot of overlap in their DPS capabilities. All of their DPS uh, players are kind of hit scan specialists. You don't see anyone that really stands out as an all-star tier one could be the best in the world. Genji, Farah. Uh, so it seems like there's a lot of overlap there on the tank side. I, I will agree. Like Nomi never really stood out to me as like a, the, the best tank ever, and even more so, uh, El- 
Super, who looked really good uh, on LG Evil, was also playing a similar role. He was playing main tank. Both Nomi and Super previously were playing main tank, so they lacked this off tank, uh, this off tank prowess that I, I was kind of expecting to see. And you have to wonder, like, well, how do we get in this situation? Why did they decide to go this route when there are theoretically so many free agents? I mean, so many people have not been claimed yet. Uh, you could have, you have the pick of the litter. But I have been chewing over this and and reading a lot uh, uh, of comments and watching some of the videos. Actually, NRG put out a video, or I should say San Francisco Overwatch put out a video <laughs> uh, just yeah. a day or two ago, uh, or maybe it was just today, about kind of their thinking. Uh, and it, it's starting to make more and more sense to me. Uh, I think Scribe is definitely on the right path uh, of thought when he's saying that they're building, they're, they're looking for good building blocks. And Brad even says this in the interview. He's he's not saying they're trying to win right now. They're not trying to win their first matches in OWL. They're trying to build a team that has potential for the future. Uh, and if you look at the ages of all these players, they're they're what? They're 17, 17, 18, 18, 19, 19, 20. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think Dak, Dahak, and IDDQD are the only not super, super, super young people <laughs> on the team. Yeah, so yeah. you've got you've got these young players that all can flex. You know, everyone's talking about how Baby Bay has been practicing his diva. He can flex into Farah, although I haven't I haven't seen a ton of it. I know he has played it in tournaments before. You've got guys like Super, which Brad couldn't stop talking about how flexible he thinks Super is. He can flex into pretty much any role. So the more I think about it, the more I, I, I'm starting to come to grips with the fact that they chose this roster not necessarily because of the immediate synergy that they have right now. Uh, but because of the future potential of these players uh, as members of the org, as franchise players, as potential trading pieces future uh, down the line. And you also have to remember, they chose eight players, right? So we've still got the potential to bring on four more. Um, I think they said they're going to cap out at nine. So now the speculation oh, is going up. Yeah. So two things here. One is that... Uh, I'll just quickly respond to that. I say I think potential is actually a fairly weak argument in general because you don't really know what's going to happen there. You are much better off making judgments based on what you do know versus, oh, is this guy going to get good? Maybe, but it just the same. These people could also get worse when you put them in a brand new environment where they, you know, may or may not be comfortable. I, I think it's very risky and far too optimistic to just bet on something with, oh, it could have potential. It's like, well, great. Everything can have potential. It also has the potential to be bad. That aside. Yeah, I completely agree. The, Don't get the, me wrong. The part, the, the part um, that I think is a little bit worrying for NRG and will be worrying, I think, for several OWL teams is that this is a global game. There is global competition. And one thing that Korea does really, really well, and you can find way more better players there and tank and support than you can overall in the West, is, of course, Korea. And I don't know if every team has done its due diligence and gone out of their way to get a proper consultant that is very well-connected in the Korean scene. Not, Not just someone who watches Apex. I mean, anyone can watch Apex. I'm talking about someone with boots on the ground in Korea that has good relationships with the different teams that can recommend to your GM, hey, look, give this guy a tryout. I've personally talked to him, so on and so forth. I think there will be a handful of teams in the league that have done this due diligence and have combination rosters, but I I think it's a little bit worrying when you have a full owl team without a single Korean on it, because there is so much talent in that region, especially when it comes to tanks and supports where, uh, as it looks right now, NRG actually might be pretty deficient. 
Yeah. I mean, there's also the cross issue where um, if you look at the timeline of when teams started really trialing players, Energy and Immortals were two of the teams, I guess, that first open tryouts, right? You also consider the fact Energy wasn't even in contenders, so they had this entire time to build their roster. Uh, this roster that they kind of released actually looks very similar to a roster that they initially were trialing out uh, at the very, I guess, early stages of the signing period. So I have this weird feeling that they may have uh, committed on some pieces that they thought were really good. And all of a sudden with kind of all this, all this free agency, a lot of players all of a sudden saying, you know, I'm, I'm looking for overwatch league teams. I think they may have uh, mistimed it, but that's obviously just speculation on my side, but it kind of feels like it, that may have been the issue, but I totally agree with you. Um, uh, agree with you, ZP. I think teams really need to start thinking about getting like real consultants in Korea to really sit down with players and figure out, you know, like, hey, where are the diamonds in the rough, right? Like, obviously, you're not going to pick up some some players on Lunatic High if they're getting signed to specific uh, spots, but there's definitely a lot of players uh, who are on teams that are not going to be in Overwatch League that are going to be, you know great additions to you to your roster as a whole and i know that for sure that there are quite a few teams boston being one of them that have trialed a lot of korean players and i'm not sure what what it looks what their final roster looks like i've heard rumors of what their final roster looks like but during the trial period they had a lot of korean players uh, hmm. uh kind of like sliding in so who knows maybe we'll see uh boston with some uh some yeah. non-domestic talent yeah i mean there there's obviously challenges that come about with having Korean players on your team too, when communication things like that too, but yeah, definitely I can see that that has to be like a part of a team like in the future. Uh, but anyways, getting, just kind of closing with the energy thing. Yeah, it's just surprising. I think overall it's just kind of maybe a surprising tactic that they took with this because we're just used to the flash, you know, that comes with energy and just kind of you know spending money and, and picking up like very very big names, whether it ends up being successful or not. Um, and so this is a different approach and we'll see how it works for them. Uh, another uh, team that we, you know, obviously know in, uh, Overwatch is Cloud9. You know, Cloud9 obviously, um, recently announced that they, they were, um, you know, they bought, uh, do Panthera and, um, they also announced recently that they're closing on, or they're at least it was reported by Jacob that they're about to close on their series a 25 mil. And, um, it, it, I think a lot of people might not have known, but they actually need this, you know, to actually happen to be able to, I think, um, you know, uh, you know, have that 20 million buy-in, you know? So, uh, this is definitely really, really good news for cloud nine. And, um, you know, there's been a lot of things, I think a lot of the players just even on cloud nine, Musasa like tweeted it. And I just kind of thought it was kind of a perfect, uh, representation of just like a lot of, um, players lately. And it's just like, a lot of players really going through anxiety, especially the ones that are even on teams right now, whether they're going to, you know, still be on these teams or not, you know? So, um, right now, like that, that's, this pretty much represents all players, right? Just anxiety at a level, like it, with the current week, maybe the next two, one or two weeks, I would say. One thing I'll, yeah, sorry, I'll you first. Real quick is that, um, C9, I feel like is in the opposite case of energy where mm -hmm. it, at least on the Korean player issue where, much the same where I don't feel like I feel like ignoring Korea as a region as you make your roster is a huge mistake. I'm also not convinced that picking up a full Korean roster is going to be necessarily a great idea either. I think that the best teams will be somewhere in the middle where you're just honestly evaluating talent properly and not putting all your eggs in one basket. Because I think what C9 is going to run into, potentially, and who knows, is that when you take a full 
team of players and move them to a brand new region, brand new country. There's no guarantee that every player is going to continue to play at the same level that they were at before. You need to have the depth there to be able to compensate when a player that did really well in one environment with one support structure gets put to a completely different environment and different support structure. And copy-pasting an entire team might not really work out for C9. We'll see. I mean, like I said, I think C9 and NRG are in opposite ends of the spectrum. But my guess is that the teams that will do best in uh, Season 1 will be the teams that have the sort of more comprehensive hybrid approach. I, I actually think is I think that in the long run, I think you're right. I think in Season 1, actually, the teams that are... Like, if you just buy Kung Fu Panthera or, you know, Lineage of Kai and just have them all play, I think they're going to do better right from the get-go more so than in the long run so um i think it's going to take some time for teams to gel you know like especially if you're talking about a, a mixed team in terms of you know language and communication even just getting the logistics of of, of how that's going to even work and you know, figure it out i mean that that takes time right there is one thing i want to respond to real quick from cruz and chat where cruz is saying uh a two-hour trial block is enough for a player i agree i i think that okay. there, there's wow. this when, when it comes to tryouts i think that there's probably two extremes going on where you have one extreme where you have a team that's trying to try out everyone under the sun, in which case you're not getting very good data on anyone. And you're also like, you need a little bit more direction from whoever's calling the shots in, where you have to have an idea of what you want and you try out, say, a pool of 30 versus a pool of like 500. Right. The opposite case, though, is you have cases where a team might not be doing much trying out at all and they go, well, I know what I want. And that could be a mistake as well because you have to see how players play. So... Yeah, it's interesting uh, how the trial process could be going down. Right, right. Um, kind of moving through the news a little bit faster. Uh, Conbox announced that they're dropping their Overwatch team, which is you know obviously a team that's been competing in Apex for you know last several seasons now. Um, so another you know yet another Korean team or brand that's actually leaving Overwatch at least for the time period. They said they're going to take a look at 2018, and just like all the other teams that we've seen or brands leave Overwatch, they're just kind of wait and see. Uh, but we do actually have a new team. It's it's nice to actually talk about a new team every once in a while, especially during this time. And uh, the new team is actually Mosaic Esports just formed. And uh, I was talking to Scribe a little bit about this team before the show. And you're pretty excited about this, right, Scribe? Yeah, I mean, this is these. If you've been following the European scene, especially the tier two scene, you know a lot of these names already. I mean, like more, I guess the most prominent ones, right? Like uh, Bromas, uh, Lude, Kodak from One Two Three. Like, I mean, Fusions played on Nerd Rage back in the day. Emil was part of Guild Force, Bonkers previously, and uh, Visility was recently on the Netherlands uh, Overwatch World Cup team. This is a roster that's extremely young and also extremely promising. These are a lot of players who have uh, kind of shown promise in a way and for one reason or another, whether it be age, whether it be they're finishing up school so they didn't want to grind out Overwatch League too much. I know that was the case for Fusions and Emil. Uh, this is a good opportunity for them to start, you know, gearing up for contenders. I think that a lot of organizations are going to start buying rosters again just because it's relatively low cost. And if, you know, Blizzard at all vamps up like prize pool for contenders or even offers additional support in the future, obviously none of this I don't think has been um, has been announced. So this is all speculation on my side. It could be a great opportunity for, you know, teams to grab up all these promising players, players who will develop into, you know, Overwatch League talents maybe in a few years, right? All of a sudden you have a great farm system going on. You have all these players who have, you know, okay buyouts. And hey, let's say, for example, next year, Kongu Mathera wants to pick up Lude or uh, sorry, um, like Kodak, Emil Fusions or anyone, you have this great option just to sell them to, uh, to the org, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
Yay, finally another European team. <laughs> I know, oh, wait, right? it's actually a North American team uh, also, <laughs> right? Uh, which is just kind of funny. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I, I've actually been thinking a lot more about contenders and the future of what it's going to be like as a player outside of OWL, because let's face it, there are going to be dozens of top tier players that aren't on OWL teams. Like there, there's six more rosters that need to be filled out. And I would on a, I would personally argue that there's 80 to 120 like high level, top level players that are looking to get onto those rosters, if not more. Uh, so there's going to be dozens and dozens of players that aren't on OWL teams. And, for a while, I'm thinking, oh, man, is this the death sentence for them? Or, like, what, what's going to keep them going? But first of all, contenders is going to be a thing. And then you have to remember that outside of OWL, a big part of the OWL contracts for the teams was that every individual owner could run up to five events per year, something, something like that, uh, meaning, like, tournaments or whatever. Uh, and there's going to be an off-season as well. So I could certainly imagine during the off-season – or who knows, maybe even during the regular season, there being semi-major tournaments with maybe even six-figure prize pool. And at that point, somebody like Mosaic Esports has, actually has a really strong roster. Maybe not OWL strong, but this is a roster that could compete with a lot of teams that, are, that have been playing in, for instance, contenders. So I'm, I'm actually kind of excited to see. I think this is going to be one of the things that not very many people are talking about right now that could make or break like long-term Overwatch esports is what happens outside of OWL and and for teams like Mosaic. So there, there's a meta game here that I think a lot of people might be underestimating. And in terms of tournaments that go on that aren't uh, owl related, in terms of building up players, building up talent, there will be a financial incentive for teams to raise this talent because, of course, you could then sell them off to owl teams where. Of course, some owl teams aren't going to do very well. Some will do very well, but like any other traditional sport, there will be teams that will go, wow, we really need to upgrade after season one because they won't have the performance they thought they would get. Where are they going to look for upgrade potential? You're going to look to teams that are participating in the level below OWL. And that's where if you're a team that has developed really good talent, you can sell these players to an owl team that will be desperate to improve and recoup your investment and then some. And in terms of the metagame going deeper, if you're an org that is consistently <laughs> developing good talent, right. then you suddenly create the opportunity where maybe an OWL team wants to buy your org and use your yep. org as a basis for developing their own talent. So wait, you know, we just paid four buyout fees to this team for four of their players. Why don't we buy this team so that when they sign on the lower level, we don't have to pay the buyout fee anymore? So, I mean, there's multiple ways that this could break down that's actually very healthy, both for OWL, but also for players there's, that aren't quite yet in OWL. There needs to be some limit as to, like, how much or how many teams an Overwatch League team can own in contenders. I mean, it, it could get ridiculous, right? Like, what, what if some team just wants to basically just buy everybody that's in contenders, you know, and then just like essentially try to, you know, sign or own like every single player that's even there. So there has yeah. to be some safeguards there. And I, I don't think they're defined yet, are they? I mean, have you heard, guys heard of anything like that? I don't no, see I what safeguard you could really make there. If, a t if an org wants to buy and run like five minor league Overwatch teams effectively, sure. I don't well, see what the issue is there. Actually, I mean, it would, if you're gonna fight, if well, you're gonna fight, you know, it, it, would, it would totally compromise what contenders is. Like that's Ow. that's not what it was meant to be, though. Like in my, I opinion. mean, uh, well, 
how is that compromising? Well, it's just like it's just like the minor league, you know, like minor leagues in baseball. Not not like one. I mean, one franchise doesn't own multiple teams in the minor league baseball, you know, because that's not what it's supposed to be. You know, it's like it's up. They're supposed to be, you know, if, if there is going to be this concept of of these Overwatch major league teams, you know, um, having presence in contenders, then I feel like it should be evenly distributed more so than just you know free market type of thing. Okay, but if you have an org that hypothetically buys like three teams and is financing and paying good enough salaries that players want to play for these teams and play contenders, and it's supporting the lower level scene, where is the problem or conflict here? Well, you're assuming that no, there aren't other organizations that aren't going to support anyway. I mean, the other organizations can oh, support too. It's support, just, but I mean, yeah, I'm saying here in this case, you would also have a mini level bidding war for good players down there. So, if a team wanted to have that like mono monopolistic synergy that you're saying, they would have to be paying significant amounts of money to get players to sign with them. Like, I, I guess what I'm seeing here is that it would take an enormous amount of money and manpower for an org to ever like dominate lower than owl level stuff. But if they wanted to do that and give that level support to it, I I'm not seeing where the issue is there aside from the fact that that team would have a big competitive advantage in owl. But even then teams that have really good farm leagues and say baseball, they might have really nice free agents that are effectively signed super cheap, but eventually their initial contract fades and they end up signing with other teams for a higher price. So it's not like those players wouldn't end up on other teams eventually anyways. Looking long-term though, I do see, I mean, this is, for example, just talking about like kind of collusion as we're talking about, that's something that already exists in esports. I mean, if you look at Counter-Strike alone, Virtus Pro and Astralis are owned by like, have the same, like have oh, shared investor, true. right? Yeah, that's true. Like it's, and people don't really talk about that as much, but I think that it's going to, like ZP does that point. I think that what's going to happen is that maybe they're not going to be like, uh, the San Francisco, like, blah, blah, blahs, right? Or, like, the, like it's kind of, they're not going to have, like, a minor league version of that specific brand, but maybe it's going to be something like Kraft decides to take an investment, um, you know, a few few hundred thousand dollars into a team, like maybe three, four teams, right? And then they're not competing under their name, but they have, you know, like, they have either computers from them or they're either, you know, being, like, invested in uh, or partnership with this organization. But I do see – I do expect to see Blizzard to implement some sort of rule just because, I mean, like, while while I do get the point that, like, yeah, you know, it, it would be really bad if there was, you know, collusion in contenders. I mean, boy, what is contenders right now? It's kind of just about, you know, who who plays first. Well, Even if you have a team that three, four teams, right, each of these teams still want to compete to be the best, right? Um, like, yeah, it's going to be a problem if, let's say, they're throwing games to, you know, to just establish, you know, rankings at the end of the season or stuff like that. And that could obviously be a big issue. But in terms of kind of the competitive factor for contenders right now, with there being no real reward besides a monetary reward, and you're basically kind of just playing for uh, the spotlight in a way, I wouldn't really see teams kind of like be colluding so much, right? Like everyone's next step is Overwatch. Like you're not going to throw a game just for contenders that there's no reward at the end of the season, right? Just to clarify there, when I was arguing for that, uh, collusion and that sort of stuff doesn't even fa uh, phase my mind here because if you're a team that has multiple, say, teams and contenders, if that does end up being the case, your goal here is to develop talent and sell that talent out, not to win contenders or whatever tournament you're playing in. So I, that's really shouldn't be your concern because at this point, any team that's playing there, their concern is not how do we win contenders? Their concern is how do we develop talent and get the very best talent possible? That's what teams are worried yeah, about. I mean, uh, this, I, I guess assuming that all the contracts are, you know, all the players are taken care of and are being looked after. You know, and all the contracts are fair, and I don't know. We need a players' association sometimes, like eventually. Oh. But um, 
you know, also, I, one I think given that, I just want to add sure. there yeah. in terms of multiple teams, like you have plenty of cases in, say, Apex, where you have teams that are like one mother org that has more than one team. I mean, LW Blue, LW Red, uh, all the very, like, there's multiple instances of it. So it's not like it would be unprecedented even for esports in general. Okay. Uh, well, we got we still got a lot of stuff, so we're gonna move on. We've already spent an hour. We've only covered like three things or something like that. So, um, we were gonna talk about scouting players. Maybe we can get through this a little bit, um, pretty pretty quickly here. But, um, scribe, you wanted to talk about just how the difficulty is of scouting players right now in the current state of Overwatch, and um, I think Ben, you want to kind of mix. I think this talk with just the number of awesome free agents that are still out there, which you touched on. It's just a second ago. But, scribe, why don't you start off with that, like? How difficult is it to scout players right now? I, I honestly think to get a full scout, I don't think any team right now has the time or resources to do that. And ZP brought it up before. Like, there's so many free agents that are available. Like, what are the chances that you go out and you say, like, I want every free agent. I want open tryouts. I want to find the, the <laughs> definitely the, the best player in all these roles. How much time do you really have for this? I mean, considering the fact that a lot of teams got into the process, right, found out they had Overwatch League spots very late in the process, right? The signing period itself has only been, like, I think it's three months, uh, three months total, and you're expected to pull together a team that you find in three months, not including, you know, a time that you need to spend to look for staff and then have them ready to compete by December. That timeline is super short and super ridiculous. And at the same time, that's kind of why scouting has become so difficult, right? Like I think in the tweet I mentioned was the fact that, you know, it's sometimes, you know, it is a friend's club in a way, but the reason why is because it's almost out of necessity at this point. The likelihood that you as a GM is going to be able to scout over like a thousand players even, right? Watching game tape, right? Watching VODs, uh, talking to these players, right? Looking up stats, looking up solo queue stuff, right? And just, you know, being able to pair people together, run scrims with them. You don't have time for that. So a lot of managers and a lot of GMs are actually kind of relying on um, either personal biases, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but basically, hey, this is this is the read I've gotten on this player. I've sat down on top with him. This is my impression. I want this guy for my team. In addition, it's also stuff like it's like uh, coaches asking their players, like, hey, you know, who who's good right now? Asking their support staff, hey, who do you guys think is uh, someone worth trying out? And it should be noted that no team, I think, uh, in Overwatch League has done open tryouts. And tryout, the tryout process behind the scene has been extremely messy. A lot of it has just kind of devolved into you PMing the coach and hope he gives you, hope, hope he finds a slot for you to try out, or he just ghosts you for three weeks and you have to kind of admit to yourself that, ah, I don't think they want me. <laughs> right, but, right, that's brutal. Yeah. But in either case, I mean, it's it's just super difficult, right? Like, mm-hmm. there are so many people, and we'll probably talk about this later when, when, when Ben talks, but, like, there are players on solo queue ladder who I think are super promising players. Like, above one, like, one person that comes to mind almost immediately is someone I played with, uh, I worked with on You Guys Get Paid, which is KSF, who is this insane solo queue player. I think he's definitely uh, worth getting some trials on, but people aren't going to consider him when you also have the likes of Surefor, uh, like Shadowburn, uh, among other players trying off for the same team, right? Just because of name recognition alone, you're going to go with those players because, you know, among other factors, right? These guys have land experience. These yeah. guys have form experience. These guys have been in the game for almost forever, right? So you're going to, you want to take a chance on an uh, expected or a known quantity versus someone who's unknown, right? Yeah. But with that being said, if you miss the diamond in the rough, you could have a potential player that you guys wanted to pick up that would have, you know, won you three, four more games in Overwatch that you just missed because, you know, you didn't do your due diligence, right? Mm-hmm. So it, it's in this weird process. I think then players can probably agree as well. It's I don't think that the current trial period is is good. I think that if Blizzard had followed through with kind of their uh, their 
um, announcement of potentially a combine where, you know, you would be able to see all these players perform at once and you literally see a bunch of players and just be able to collect all this raw data. Uh, maybe, you know, we see a different trial period or different trial structure than we see right now. But because of the time and the fact that, you know, these guys are just saying, like, we got to meet this December deadline, right? And there's not that much time yeah. left. I can't imagine anyone doing a thorough trial process. And I think that, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of what it is at this point, right? Like I hope that everyone has the best players, but there's always a possibility because of the lack of time, lack of prep, that you're not going to get the best team you have. Yeah, so we're 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 going a little slow. There's a lot of topics to cover, yeah. so I don't know if it makes sense to do okay, when, what I was thinking. Yeah, we can save uh, it for next week. Fun, but, it's still going to yeah. be there next week, to be honest. So we'll we'll talk yeah. about like a, a who's who in the, in the free agency pool uh, next week. Yeah. Um, one thing I. One thing just real quick to note, though, is that I, I don't think that you're going to have that many players that are really deserving that are out in the cold. I mean, you stop and think about it. You go back to, say, Contender Season 1, which was a little bit ago now, or sorry, Season 0. Look, there are there have been open tournaments for players to make teams and get themselves known. It's not like people haven't had opportunities in the last six months to make a name for themselves in Overwatch if they are that good, period. Like, these teams, these players, they have had chances. And yes, even if something changed and a guy just became a breakout town in the last two months, there might be a dead zone now where they don't get noticed. I don't think that players that were really able to get over the hump and have great showings have necessarily not had a chance. I mean, there's been plenty of opportunities, both in North America, in Europe, and certainly uh, you take a look at the various, not only Apex proper, but things like Apex Challengers. I mean, players have had time to show what they have. Yeah, they I, I would have. agree with you on the North American side. I think a lot of North American players have had the chance to show what they have. I think European players have been struggling to do so. I think that, for example, and, and this is just, you know, let's kind of like pointing it out. I wonder how many players on 1, 2, 3 are going to make it into Overwatch League, despite being a team that has performed really well over two seasons of contenders. I wonder how many of those players are going to make it into Overwatch League uh, that are on the current roster. And that's kind of something that, like, I think is, speaks to a larger, larger, I guess, picture, right? Like, Look at the singularity team now with Christopher Fisher, um, like Smex, right, and uh, among among like a few other players as well. Even players like Nash. These are players who have proven themselves before, but because of one factor or another, they might not get trials, and that's kind of like the issue, right? And I, I totally agree with you. I think that everyone who's going to be in Overwatch League, hopefully, is is deserving of Overwatch League. I think the top, top, top level talent is going to definitely be trials, but. What I'm worried about is maybe not the S tier talent, but like the tier one talent. I'm wondering how much of those players uh, have been able to get, you know, accurate tryouts and have been able to kind of like compete with the fact that there is a name recognition factor in this as well. So I would turn this part on its side here and just say that actually because there is such a huge brain drain of really talented EU players getting drawn to NA, season zero contenders for EU was open season. You had a lot of unknown teams that were able to come in and some did very well, like one, two, three. And that was a really good showcase that you might not have in a region that, you know, didn't have such a drain of talent there. So if you were a talented, undiscovered player in EU, you actually had no better time to really show your stuff and get on a team that was doing well than season zero, because it was the most wide open, I think a field ever could be for Overwatch there. So I, I don't know. I think Season Zero was actually a very good opportunity if you were a talented EU that wanted to show yourself off to potential OWL teams. Right. Okay, well, let's uh, let's move on. Let's talk. We have another huge topic here, which is um, Thorne's video this week. I uh, talked about 
teams charging for uh, to for to have other teams try out a player that they have under contract. Um, let's see, hold on, let me just just type this out real quick in the topic bar. And um, you know, there's obviously a huge discussion here, because a lot of people weren't aware of this. And um, you know, the question I think just kind of explaining it basically again, like there have been certain players, uh, no players that have been like mentioned by name or even teams by name, but definitely some players who, um, you know, have had this issue where they, you know, they want to try out for, even this is Overwatch League, obviously, Overwatch League team wants to try them out and, you know, whatever team that they're contracted to, even though it might be, I don't know, maybe winding down or maybe, you know, for the most part, they're, they're not really, you know, actively playing for this team anymore. Um, you know, they're, they're basically charging for tryouts. Uh, so, um, you know, the Thorn video, I think, caused a lot of people speculating, really talking about how, you know, scummy teams are. Because, you know, we were aware of buyouts and things like that, but never, like, charging for tryouts. You know, I, think, I don't think a lot of people that, well, at least most of the community, realized that this was even a thing. Uh, so um, the question for you guys is, is this a pervasive thing? Or is this just, like, one of these, like, kind of one-off, this happened to one player or maybe a group of players on a team? Or, or is this happened like was has this been happening a lot during this whole Overwatch tryout period? I've only heard of one team. I think that's the team that made that approach Thorn about it. Um, that has done this. Every other team I've talked to has had players who are either openly able to just try out wherever they want, no cost at all. I don't think this is a per pervasive issue. I think this is like mm -hmm. one or two organizations kind of spoiling the rest of the barrel of apples, right? So mm -hmm. I don't think it's a big, I, I think it is a big issue. And I think that it's especially frightening given the fact that the team that I think Thorne is talking about has a player who is very, very high profile and potentially could have been kept out of, of Overwatch League. But I think the that's the exception to the rule, rather it being the rule itself. I think yeah, it comes down to this is, this is terrible. If, if if this is even remotely true, this is this is just a really terrible pro practice that's actually despicable, as far as I'm concerned. Like you are already trying to keep you're already you're trying to sell this player uh, or or this player's contract, and, and you're probably going to make some good money off of it. But holding the player hostage from a because of a tryout fee seems completely absurd to me and really disgusting. I I don't know any details here, but this this is a really despicable uh, thing if it if it did indeed happen. If true, it it just strikes me as generally bad business because the bio like the teams endemic orgs that aren't in OWL that aren't intending on continuing forward with uh, non-OWL tournaments that want to sell off assets effectively, where they, they've invested in a player, they've paid a player salary for X amount of months, and now it's time to get a return on said investment. It seems a little bit odd in terms of just business sense to do uh, what was described in the video, because ideally what you want is you want the player to go to as many teams as possible and if you could incite a bidding war where a lot of the buyouts are not necessarily set in stone. I think if you're a player, by the way, you should totally get your buyout set in stone. Don't let your org just decide to make it whatever they want. But from an org perspective, if you have a really good player, it makes a lot more sense to be like, yes, go play with this team. Now go play with that team. Oh, both of you teams want my player. Now bid up against each other for the buyout. That makes the most sense given the fact that you have a time-sensitive product where if you don't sell the player before OWL, you are screwed and you get zero. So I don't doubt that this might have occurred. I mean, generally, Thorin's stuff is very well-sourced. But I also think that if one team is doing this, they are just 
incredibly bad at business. And also, I mean, it's just, it's a bad idea if you are looking out for the career of the player as well. I, I don't even see how you could possibly even do this. I mean, the player could just go do tryouts anyway, right? Like, how are you going to stop them? I, I don't know. By trying things. to intimidate them and say yeah. that something will happen I mean, do if contracts you don't. Have that? Do contracts have that currently where you can't even be in a scenario of trying out or playing for a team? I mean, you could just say, I'm playing a pickup game, right? And then just like scouting them from there. You know, like it's, it's kind of weird. Yeah, that's the, that's the secret thing for every tier two team. Everyone just says, "Hey, you want to ring for us for like a, <laughs> for like two blocks?" Exactly, right? Yeah, it's a tryout. Yeah, exactly. It's like, how do you prove it was a tryout versus, "Hey, they were down a player and they said they want to get in." And then, I mean, there is a way you could prove it one way or another, which would be the bring it to the court and have people testify. But frankly, I think when the goal is to try and extract buyout fees, suddenly falling through on a legal threat against a player that likely doesn't have a whole lot of money in most cases would be the antithesis of trying to make money off your players. So in any case, it seems like something that you couldn't really fall. Maybe the buyout fee is just like really low on that player. And so they're just trying to, you know, again, eke out as much value as they can, given that, you know, they're they're not going to have this very valuable asset in the next few weeks, probably. So that's the only logic I can think of, or at least rationale for, for them doing that. But, um, but yeah, overall, it, not a good thing, obviously, in this particular circumstance. Too. You know, we've had players that have had to sit on teams for months, you know, and it, just because they had to kind of run out their, their contracts in the past on, you know, various, various uh, situ- uh, scenarios with this, right? Uh, and, you know, it's always gotten a bad light, too. Like, I think generally people just don't, the community just it doesn't reflect well even on the brands in those circumstances. And it's those circumstances are a little bit harder to blame the teams, you know, because the teams, you know, they, they do commit this this investment to these players and, you know, the contracts are contracts and you sign them, you you should have to uphold them. But this particular, you know, charging for tryouts, that's just like that's a different level. <laughs> um, okay, well let's talk about a, a new hire. Uh, actually this is a hire that got me really excited. Um, so Blizzard announced that they hired Jason Baker to direct uh, the Overwatch League. And people are wondering, like, who the heck's Jason Baker? You might know him as Alchemist. And, you know, maybe you've seen him on, uh, I don't know, other talk shows or, or um, maybe heard of him in terms of um, E-League. But he's been the director of E-League for like the last the two years. Two, three years. So, uh, he's been. He's been. The he's been the I, I can clarify for that. Yeah. He's been with E yeah. League since the very beginning because yeah, uh, so just in talking with. I remember him talking to me about the very first weekend he worked E League, where it was the beginning period. So yeah, yeah. any any E League broadcast you saw from the beginning, aside from I think their FGC stuff, he was involved in. Yeah, yeah, and so I mean, obviously, Jason's really, really good at what he what he's you know what he does, and I think the fact that he's going to be working Overwatch. I talked to him a little bit too, just a couple of days ago, and. Um, just really excited what he's going to bring to it. You know, we've been talking, or at least on the show, I, I've, you know, I know I've brought it up many times where it's just like the spectating product is, I mean, my eyes, like number one priority. Like we got to get our product like in, in a, a viewable, sh- you know, shape so that we can even, you know, build upon it, market it and all this good stuff. Because if your product sucks, it doesn't matter what the heck you do. Right. Uh, so having Jason come in, I know spectating tools are coming. Um, that's going to be awesome. And, and we may be able to see some, of the effects of this, I don't know, maybe as soon as this this uh, contenders playoff, maybe just like little things. But by the time World Cup comes around, oh man, I'm I I can't wait to see what Overwatch looks like at BlizzCon. 
Yeah, so, I'm super excited. So I'm super excited for um for Jason mainly because like E Leagues uh, for Counter Strike at least one of the best parts about them is was just spectating Counter Strike. I thought yeah, it was absolutely really really solid. And obviously Counter Strike is a different game than Overwatch, but I think that Jason has a lot of experience in his hands, and it Blizzard gives him the freedom to work with his team more closely and specifically, maybe even start building like small things within his team itself, small like small workarounds and small like, kind of like shortcuts and stuff like that. I think once they start to mesh and they start kind of like grooving with each other and they're able to make a lot of on the fly decisions in terms of camera work and changes, I think we can see like a really, really great product. I think Overwatch is a game that's always struggled to transition itself from kind of just the game that you play to something that you enjoy watching. And I think that this could be the key to the puzzle. I think this is mm -hmm. the thing that Overwatch has been missing for such a long time was, you know, a really great spectator experience just because, you know, the game itself is so cluttery. But I'd be super excited if Alchemist even or Jason even gets, you know, gets a few months under his belt in terms of meshing with his team. Yeah. we so, Go ahead, Jimmy. I was going to say, Alchemist is a dude that I've talked to about observing for a really long time and let me tell you there's i mean there's multiple types of people you get in esports but for this analogy i'll say there's two types of people you get you get the people that are incredibly passionate about what they do are and absolutely want to have the best product and are incredibly hard on themselves and they're not afraid to voice their opinion to people above them to do it they're the type of people that will make waves if necessary because they know what the right thing is and they're going to pursue it doggedly and then there's the people that don't, and they're just like, oh, I just have a job, whatever. I'm going to go about it. Jason is definitely the former category where this dude cares. If you need to know anything about him, he cares a lot about what he does. He thinks about what he does constantly and is always on the lookout for how do I make something better? And even in cases where, you know, whether it be he's working with Blizzard, working with Turner, whatever it may be, it's not a dude that's afraid to fight for what he thinks is right. If there is an argument to be made, he's not someone who is simply just happy to have the job and will follow orders and do what he's told. No, he's going to take every little bit that he can get out of a product in terms of putting on the best product possible. And if something isn't being done that could be done to help, he's going to find a way to get it done. This is a dude who gets results, period. And I couldn't be any happier. The guy is amazing. Uh, one of the best people I've worked with in esports. You can't have more experience than him. And I mean that literally. <laughs> yeah. He was doing this shit in like 2000, 2001. It, there were two esports booms and busts in between now and then. Like he is about as old school OG, as man. it gets. Yeah. Uh, and he's been doing game directing, excuse me, game directing and, and like TOing stuff for a lot of that time. Uh, I, I actually only met him for the first time in Santa Monica at uh, Overwatch World Cup. Uh, but I've known him a long time online. Really, really great guy. Humble. Doesn't have a big ego. That's rare in esports. I mean, look at us. Uh, you know, just but, uh, no, uh, no, he's a great guy. I I'm really excited about this. And also part of that, uh, he tweeted later um, that he's also announcing that he has a great team joining him, including Imagine 42. Yes, Imagine, Gates, yes. OW, Lena Oxton, <laughs> 11260. Uh, who are the observers who have been also hired full-time. So that's a bit of news. I mean, not a lot of people have, have actually talked about this on the subreddit or anything, but full-time observers have also been hired. Uh, and some of these folks you've seen in doing a lot of the observing behind the scenes, you don't know who's doing it all the time, but these folks have, have a lot of experience. Uh, Imagine was actually my producer for uh, my second tournament over uh, ever. Uh, it was the Onog Invitational like way back in the day. Uh, 
he he produced that. Uh, he's I mean, basically one of the first people to ever dedicate himself to. I mean, next to observing, ZP, so. I think Amaj is probably the first. You know, one of the first observers. I mean, it might be a contest between you guys as to who was the first, yeah. really. So, um, uh, I'm well, excited. As about far this. as well, go ahead. I, technically speaking, you go back to weekly. Is like I think to this day yeah, I have yeah. the most uh, like time logged as a <laughs> probably just yeah. because of all the He's, tournaments I have to do. Whereas both casting and observing, I mean, right, you're talking yeah. about like a half a year of weeklies plus like <laughs> other stuff and whatnot. Those weekly, those were long. No, they were, they were. No, that's what like I said. That's kind of why. Ten hours in hour days. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, I just every once in a while I go on a nostalgia kick and watch old videos. I was watching the 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 first tournament I hosted, the Fishsticks Invitational, and I and I heard myself casting. The first Lucio alt has been dropped, and now the second Lucio alt has been dropped. <laughs> like wow, I I even I kind of forgot about. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> that was also back before they nerfed alt charge rates. So if you kept numbering it, you would have been by the end of the first match, you'd be like, and that is the 32nd Lucio alt to be dropped. So many beats. Exactly. Alt really charged way too quickly back in the day. Well, anyways, congratulations, Jason. I'm I'm happy to finally have a storyteller in the director's chair, and you know it's it's going to be great for Overwatch. We're just oh man, super excited about that. Uh, let's talk about contenders here. Uh, contenders playoff. So uh, this weekend, I think we talked about it a little bit last weekend, but um, you know a little bit of news, just some um, roster change or maybe some some uh, names that showed up on rosters. First off, Seagull is uh, listed as a su substitute for the Envy team. So the question is, is like, are we going to see Seagull this weekend? I mean, that'd be pretty high. For the hype, sake of I, viewership, I really, really uh, yeah, hope that'd so. be pretty hype if we actually do and maybe get a get a look at what they're going to start doing with Brandon. Um, also, one, two, three has had an unfortunate uh, roster change here, or at least an unexpected one, which is uh, Tonic was not able to get his visa, so there uh, Nomi's going to be subbing in for him. Uh, yeah, obviously Nomi's good. Good player's going to be a good sub for them, but yeah, it's not the same, right? You know, as the original team, I kind of feel bad for Tonic too because they, they've had such a great season, and um, not being able to play in the playoffs is really, really uh, shitty, <laughs> you know, for mm. for him and the team too. So um, yeah, thoughts on playoffs? Any any predictions? Any bold predictions, please? Because <laughs> I I can't bring myself to actually predict any any well, upsets because I can't even see any upsets happening here. <laughs> so maybe one of you guys have a better insight on things, well, something well, that I don't well, know well, about. One thing that I think is interesting on the if Seagull play or not. I will just say that I think that's an incredibly scary prospect for Seagull to play because if energy FE. Uh, categorically played Envious the closest of any other team yeah. in Contenders uh, Season 1 group play. And you don't want a situation where you have Seagull subbing in and then they actually lose the map to FNRG FE, which is possible. Like I said, FNRG FE, because of the strength of their tank frontline, was able to fight Envy a lot harder than other teams. So I, I actually, if I was Seagull, I would want no part of Contenders playoffs right now just because... You're going up against a strong team, and I guarantee you, if they were to lose with him playing, even if it's not his fault, a lot of people would scapegoat Seagull there. So I think that's actually pretty horrifying of a matchup to go up against. Uh, I don't know if I'd want to do a thousand shoes. Uh, the second thing with one, two, three is that it's kind of similar for Nomi there because Tonic was playing very, very well as tank for one, two, three. It was incredibly noticeable how he was at engaging, disengaging, and if Nomi subs in and doesn't do very well if he just gets blown up repeatedly, not able to make the disengages that Tonic was able to do. I mean, okay, Nomi's already signed for Owl, He's but, signed, it's, dude. He but it's also bad. going to be a really bad look and could start some trends that, 
you know, you don't really want as a player going into Owl season one. So I don't know. I, I think it's actually fairly scary for Nomi and would definitely be scary for Seagull if he did play. I think this uh, this week of matchups is actually kind of, I would say, honestly, pretty straightforward. Um, I think MD FNRG is going to be the the tightest match I think that we're going to see. I think FaZe is just, FaZe right now is just ridiculously mm-hmm. strong. I think they're only going to get stronger if they stay as a team, right? Um, but I think that they're they're the clear winners there. I'm going to take um, NV slightly over FNRG, even though I spent like $50 on uh, that corndog uh, hoodie. <laughs> you did? Oh, good. I spent good so much. Good choice. Baby. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, it's it's one time, man. It's like, I don't know when we're going to see these jerseys ever <laughs> yeah, again. That's true. Uh, Misfits have been looking so good. I think I, I really love Cloud9. I love the players on Cloud9. I'm just, I don't know. Like, you just got to be like, I think morale-wise, they're just not in a good place, especially after the news they've had uh, recently. And Gigante versus 1-2-3, another going to be another very close match. I guess got to give it to Gigante. They've been looking so clean recently, and I think Nomi having to mix in, like ZP said, uh, into a team, it's so hard to develop like just even simple stuff like tank uh, off-tank synergy, and even beyond that, having your tanks communicate properly with your with your DPS players, and if we add in like just the like nerves uh, from playing with your team for the first time, or just the fact that you, hey you're up against a team that's going to pressure you, they're going to put emphasis on it. They have extremely strong support line, and they're going to make sure that you know you're not going to have a good time, even if you do dive onto the back line. So it's going to be, I think, overall, it's it's going to be close for a few matches, but I think the results are going to be pretty. Um, it's so, it's likely that the top uh, seeds teams are going to. How much here. do you think playing at land is going to affect any of these teams? If it was online, oh, I, I think, think it would be like the no brain, like it's literally straight, super straightforward. But maybe playing at a land might affect some of these teams. Well, I the favorites have the most land experience of all. Like, I don't know yeah. why that would have, like, why pl- the playing online versus not would affect it because both Misfits and uh, what's it called Envy have well documented land experience. The only uh, person I would say there that actually is a little bit of a wild card would be Swoosh because you could make an argument that Swoosh underperformed at uh, the various different live events he's been at relative to his online performance for Misfits. But yeah. other than that, for Misfits and Envy, I mean, these are veterans for live play. That's it's hard to come up with any kind of angle where they're not going to be doing well here. Um, all right. Well, anyways, check it out, definitely, guys. Uh, you know, it's going to be in the new studio, so we'll get a chance to you know check out what it's going to be looking like. And uh, it should be a big crowd there too. It's sold out. Any of you guys going? I mean, obviously ZP, but um, Ben, you going to be there or? I am not going to be there. <laughs> okay. Unfortunately. <laughs> All right. I will yeah. not be there either. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, hopefully we'll we'll see. Maybe we'll see Captain Planet waving some kind of flag there. I don't know which team he chooses, but you know, if he dressed up as something, it's gonna have a hot dog on it. <laughs> I, I would like it if he uh, wore a skin tight corn dog outfit. Oh my with god! Just corn dogs yes. all over. Uh, in, yes. Oh and, and man. Preferably an even like more skin tight outfit than his American uh, setup. <laughs> I don't know if that's possible. Just uh, all I'm saying, Captain Amazing. Planet, outdo your previous offering. <laughs> You set a real good standard in Santa Monica, but can you do more? I, I would like. I would like to see that. <laughs> heck yeah! Heck yeah! All right. Well, why don't we? Uh, we got a few minutes left. So why don't you go into some of these uh, Q and A, email Q and A? You guys are actually talking about Swoosh, and um, Nicholas K has a question for uh, you specifically, ZP. And he has he was wondering about Swoosh's transition from DPS to tank and how he has been playing in his new role. Um, also, he has another question about how would you rate uh, Manitan as an off tank in Europe, and what is the strengths and weaknesses? So to start out with Swoosh is that Swoosh, uh, I would say the biggest thing that's helped him in his transition is that he used to be the projectile DPS player for Movie Star Riders, 
and him and Logic's actually developed quite a bit of synergy there. The biggest part of that team was the back and forth between Logic's and Swoosh when they dove in, Swoosh on the Genji, Logic's on the Tracer. Now that you have him with Misfits, you're still seeing a fair amount of synergy there where Swoosh will dive in and Logic's will be in at roughly the same time. So for Swoosh, who you generally see on the Winston, <clears throat> the part where he already had such synergy built up with Logic's, I think, has helped him rather greatly. And obviously, he's been playing pretty well in his new role. Misfits, they've looked revitalized. I would say more of it has to do with Logic's rather than Swoosh. And that's not even taking away from Swoosh. That's just how good Logic's has been. But for uh, Swoosh Oral, I think uh, he's been playing pretty well in the new role. And I'm not sure he's been tested as much as other tanks have been given how Misfits generally does crush their games. <laughs> but overall, I think it's been good showing. Now, you're asking for Manitin as an off-tank in Europe. Manitin is interesting because I think if you go back to when he first started playing things like D.Va uh, and otherwise, uh, it wasn't all that great. But you take a look at his stats over time. You just use the eye test for what you've been seeing coming out from the Misfits front line. Manitin has gotten far more comfortable in the off-tank role. Uh, there was a point where he was sort of a Roadhog robot where you could expect good things from on Roadhog, but... Otherwise, not so much, but he's definitely rounded out his hero pool in a good way, whether it be uh, his big uptick in D.Va performance, where he not only stays alive a lot longer and has better peels for his team, but also gets really good ultimates on a consistent basis, or his uh, Zarya play, where you take a look at his old play versus new play, uh, the mechanics of which you judge Zarya on, staying alive in rough situations, good shields on teammates, good energy building and quick ult building. He's gotten better across the board, so mm -hmm. I think Manitin is probably sort of one of those people that is stealth most improved over time and people don't give him nearly the credit uh, especially if you go back to his old lg days right right uh, okay abdel m has a question and um i kind of throw it at you ben with this one so how will overwatch how do you think at least owl will deal with patches you know when they come out do you think they're actually running on like old patches you know kind of what we've seen with contenders or do you think it's going to be fluid with the you know production patches being rolled out I think we can look at contenders as a model for that. Uh, they've generally implemented the patches, but on a pretty big delay. Um, I, this weekend is going to be on, on the pre-Diva Mercy patch, right, ZP? Uh, yeah, it's not going to be on the live patch yeah. for uh, contenders. Yeah, and that and look, that kind of sucks for for someone who's been playing a lot of ranked like me. Like I want to see it on the new patch. Uh, you you have to you have to balance it though. You have to balance with what the players want. Um, Usually, I found TOs will will bend to what the players want more often than not, uh, and change is not something they like a lot. So, um, I think what we'll probably see is something similar to contenders, where patches are implemented, but probably on a two to four week uh, delay, because um, it, it's almost like they go the patch goes to PTR, then the patch goes live to ranked, and then ranked is kind of like the PTR for for esports for <laughs> right. the for the tournaments. Right. Uh, because right now it's like it's pretty clear that Mercy is a little too strong right now, right? Like everyone is apparently nobody's I'm, practicing her. I, I would I would put a thousand dollars on Mercy getting tuned within the next two weeks. Like yeah. everyone knows she's going to get tuned down. So I wouldn't I wouldn't say I wouldn't say like Blizzard should be forcing contenders this weekend to be on the new patch. Uh, but at the same time, you definitely want it to stay relatively up to date like you don't want to just be beholden to the players saying no we started this tournament three months ago on this patch we gotta we gotta no, end kidding. it 
So I, I, I would imagine it'll be something similar where you just see it lag by two to four weeks. Okay. Uh, you make sure the patch is good on ranked first, and then and then push it to the tournaments. I actually think anyway. it's I think it's going to vary depending on the severity of the changes. Where you know, for example, a mini patch that has one small adjustment, I think it's more likely that would get pushed within a you know two to three week window. A much more game changing change like the recent mercy buff, I think that the teams might make an argument to let that simmer a little bit more before pushing it to live. Uh, new heroes, I think, might have to wait a little bit longer before getting pushed to live. Uh, in general, I think I would rate that on how much is the game actually changing based on a change, and that will probably dictate how long it takes for it to go from uh, being updated into the game to going to live competitions, whether it be uh, Owl or something else. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's, a little bit, uh, I mean, it's related in a little bit. ZV has a question, and I'll kind of direct that this one towards you, Scribe. Uh, my question is, how do you think a casual fan will receive the league with Overwatch League where the top players and teams can change dramatically by a single meta shift or patch? How do you think esports short careers, where they're, I guess, the prime ages between 16 and 25, will affect the, that as well? I would also compare it to the NCAA where everything is shifting and, and subsequently... Uh, that's where all the hardcore fans tend to gravitate towards. Uh, that's actually a good example too. Um, so yeah, what, what do you think about the, you know, just how right now the what we've seen right where when metas change, teams just drop like completely, you know, just from the top ranks, and you know we see even some players just kind of like sometimes disappear into obscurity just because you know the um, the hero that they've been super good at or specializing in, you know, is just not part of the meta anymore. Do you see this type of effect taking uh, the, or having a similar effect on the Overwatch League generally? Uh, I actually don't think it's going to be that as bad as people think. I mean, these changes, it's not like Overwatch is the only game who has massive, massive changes. I mean, League of Legends from season to season has these massive, massive like overhauls of the game entirely. Imagine if Overwatch was a completely different game every year, right? Uh, and that might, and they still have, you know, a, a, a vibrant fan base. Fans keep on coming back. I think that people also exaggerate how much uh, top players are going to change dramatically. I think that the entire one of the characteristics of top players and top teams is their ability to adapt and maybe not even like adapt entirely, but adapt to kind of what the enemies are playing. Right. I mean like envy for as many meta changes as, as, as they have uh, been through, they still play the same stuff. They still haven't found a projectile player and it's been like <laughs> it's been a amazing. year, a yeah. year now. Right. Yeah. Um, but I don't think it's that going to be that big of a deal. I think it's gonna be actually almost better for casual fans because I feel like once a meta becomes super like, uh, not really stale, but once be once it's become ingrained, I think a lot more players are going to be playing more technically. There's going to be a lot of nuances that I think a lot of new players, uh, new players of the game or fans of the game who don't really play that much actively are going to grasp. So I think that actually having like a, a good amount of change where it's like the game remain remains fresh and you know it, it's fresh and it's fun, right? I think that's going to actually help uh, help fans stay more engaged. I think that many fans aren't really they don't really care about the mechanics of the game themselves. They care about the players and how their teams do. So uh, I don't think it's going to be that big of a deal. They might be like angry that their team's not doing well, but I mean, that's part of supporting a team. You're not, your team's not yeah. going to do like infinite, infinitely well, unless you live in new England um, by any chance and watch football. 
but not doing also well right now. Then, okay, then anyways. Okay, you know what? We're, we're gonna have fighting words over that, Chad. We're talking about <laughs> hey, the greatest line coach right in now. NFL He's history, hit a lot. He's and they're in the AFC East. Now. They have so much time okay, to. Anyways, well, first yeah, of all, they're not gonna diverge. lose the division, and they're gonna go to the playoffs. Keep going. <laughs> Keep going. <laughs> you started, Wilson. Jeez. I I agree. I agree with ZP. Strongly agree with ZP on that one. <laughs> Um, but I don't think I think people also exaggerate how short esports careers are. I mean, the range of the that the, um, the ZB gave us was sixteen to twenty five. Imagine watching the same player play for nine years in baseball. That's about an average career as well, right? Um, and I don't. I think that if players stay around for at least four or five years, they'll build they'll build enough of a following. And I think that you know, as long as you don't completely overhaul teams and it's just like minor changes. Let's say like your DPS player gets subbed out two two seasons in for like this, this new young gun, but you know, the rest of the mm-hmm. team still remains as a core. I think you're going to build like general development as well. The Yankees this year look nothing like what I remember them like four years ago. And that's a team that has so much legacy. Right. Um, so I think that a casual fan is going to be drawn into overwatch, not because of, of like stuff like the meta or like stuff like specific players. I think it's going to be about like, kind of like uh, the storylines that are created, right? If, if their favorite, uh, favorite players are, you know, great personality icons, right. Or their teams are, uh, are reach out to their fans right, and are very interactive within their, um, their locales. Right. I think that's, what's really going to get casual fans to receive a league like that yeah. super well. I don't really think meta is really going to matter all that much. And, more important, I mean, we watch NCAA, which is literally sometimes uh, Kentucky sending I mean, it's a team football to the too, finals. Just whatever, like it's just yeah, overhauls like, every single year. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If you're a Kentucky fan, how can you really be a fan when you only have your players around for one year, right? Yeah. <laughs> so th- there is one thing there too that's kind of a misnomer as well, which is this idea of oh, prime age. It's uh, you know, you, you hit 25, your esports career is dead. Reflexes do not slow down that much between your uh, late teens into your 30s. They they really just don't. It's What slows oh. down is that no, no. no, the reason why most players degenerate yeah. is that you have a situation where you suddenly you get a significant other. You have a yeah. family. I mean, it really and depends on how many external things. Yeah, are happening. Sure, but mm-hmm. to, to finish it out, you also have games that weren't paying players that much. You have a reported salary where you have players like Sinatra that are likely making six figures. That is a game changer. You're going to find more time to grind out and not screw around if a game is paying you six figures as a star player. You have less reasons to degenerate and have things not go your way. And realistically speaking, so long as esports is paying well, you're going to see the average age of players continue to creep up. As it is, you have games like Counter-Strike where you have many top players that are in their 30s now. Mm-hmm. So th- this idea that, oh, you know, you're you're not uh, in your teens anymore, you're washed up, it, it, it's frankly not true. And as more money comes in the esports, you're going to see players playing for longer and longer. Have you ever heard of Daigo Umehara before? <laughs> oh my God, Jesus. He is 36, 34. Although we, uh, he's thirty six. He's thirty six. He's uh, older than that, and he's still god tier. So we, I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, I, I think that I think that yes, I do agree. I don't think you're going to see as much drop off as people expect. It's not like you turn thirty and all of a sudden you can't move your right hand, right? Like, oh no, like crippling arthritis. All of a sudden, like onset, like this, like today, right? I do think that you, you are going to see a toll play out. But I think that like. I mean, these players are going to be around. Their legacies are going to be, as long as they remain this, together as a team and they have some results. I mean, Virtus Pro this year has looked like the age finally caught up. But if you're looking at any year previously, they look they look absolutely fine, right? So I think that it 
there is there is like this idea of like in your prime, right? But I think at the same time, like once you start developing enough game sense, it really doesn't matter. And it's just it's everything external. It's like how you're living your life too. Are you eating super well? Are you exercising super well? Are you like somebody that literally has nothing, like no other distractions? Hell, man, you could probably go to upper thirties, maybe even forty. Who knows, right? Like if your life was just completely tailored to play Overwatch, you know, like old was Tim Duncan. No, why well, talk about Tim? Like, like, like Tim Duncan doesn't matter. When you have the greatest quarterback of all time, Thomas Brady, oh still playing goodness. at a high level with the New England Patriots in the year of our Lord, twenty seventeen, hey, hey. at the ripe old age of forty, They've still looking like he man. was a twenty five year old. Look, I believe your esports players can also play for a long time as well. <laughs> as long as you don't eat white flour and like any like thing that's like processed like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. right right exactly <laughs> all right well uh, thanks for the questions guys and if you guys are interested in writing into us too if you have your own questions go ahead and email those to the overview at jmnv.tv and we'll uh, try to read them out next week that's gonna be it guys awesome show uh scribe it was Amazing having you on, and it's just been long overdue that we we have you on. So, um, you know, we definitely should do this more often. But you have any shout-outs you want to do before you take off? Um, honestly, uh, not much really. Uh, just shout-outs to uh, Ghost of Gamers, obviously. And obviously, thank you guys so much for having me on here. Uh, shout-out to a few people, actually. Uh, Captain Planet and Harsha for helping me prep for this. I got so – I was, like, actually kind of nervous. What? I was like – Really? Uh, okay. like, like, what if they ask me something I don't know how to answer? And they just oh. spent, like, 30 minutes asking me questions that I never would ask. You say, I don't know, but... and it's fine. <laughs> like, it's completely <laughs> fine. <laughs> well, it depends, right? If you're an expert, you're not supposed to. Yeah, okay, know. okay, sure. Um, but thank you so much for uh, for that. And I don't know, well, guys, if you guys want to go donate blood to help out people in Las mm, Vegas, yes. go do that, right? Like, I mean, shout out shout out to people who have been doing that. And shout out to Rogue and all the other organizations in Las Vegas. Las Vegas has become a huge esport hotspot. So I'm, I'm hoping I'll best wishes to everyone else uh, who stayed safe during the incident and stuff mm -hmm. like that. Uh, ZP? I will echo all the sentiments about uh, donating blood in Las Vegas mm -hmm. and other than that, uh, of course, follow me on Twitter at TempoZP, and also uh, definitely check out Contenders Finals uh, shaping up this weekend. Uh, should be a really good time. I'll triple that. Fine. Uh, <laughs> no, if you can donate, you definitely should. I actually went to the donation center this morning, and they were so overloaded that uh, they said just come back next week. But they said definitely come back next week because just because they have, like, a lot of blood right now doesn't mean that they're not going to need more in the future. So I'm, I'm actually hundred percent planning on going. I, I went this morning. So that's, that's a great note. Uh, if you're listening to this, if, uh, consider donating hurricane Maria is also pretty insane right now uh, over in Puerto Rico. So mm -hmm. uh, we'll, we'll do the humanitarian sign out this time. Yep. And I will quadruple that and <laughs> double up on Puerto Rico too. Yeah, definitely. It's a, Definitely crazy times, and you know, heart goes out to all those folks that that um, you know had um, you know people that they've lost. And um, you know, one thing great about these things when they do happen is just as you can see just how everybody comes together. You know, and you know, Overwatch sounded like Jeff Kaplan all of a sudden, but you know, Overwatch is really all about that. You know, just how how the, the world can come together. So um, you know, hopefully we can do that do that during these tough times. 
And, um, you know, if you guys want to, uh, you know, watch the show during these times, maybe, maybe, you know, help entertain your lives for just at least two hours. You can, you can find us on, uh, the audio channels too, like on iTunes, if you want to listen to us on the way to work. Uh, so just look us up. You just look for Overwatch or the overview. You'll find us there as well as uh, Google play and soundcloud.com slash You can follow the show at the overview GG. And, um, that's going to be it for this week of the overview. We will see you next week. GG. Do you